0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. I'm so glad to see you today and I always love the opportunity to get to speak here at DCC and what a better privilege than to actually get to start a brand new series. So this week we're starting a brand new series called Fixed Marriage. So over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about this. I'm going to open it up and and Pastor Rocky's going to continue on this for the next couple of weeks. Fixed Marriage and today the subject I want to talk about, I want to tackle is Fixed Me. Look at somebody beside you and say Fixed Me. So I figured as we're talking about marriage, we should, in fact, before we even dive into any of it, figure out what the authority would have to say on marriage. And of course the authority about marriage is social media, of course, right? And so what I did is I found some some tweets about marriage that I feel like I can relate to and maybe, just maybe, you can relate to them too. Some of these would absolutely fall under the category of funny because it's true. Uh, Hopefully some of these will be true for you. And so they're gonna come up on the screen. I'll do my best to try to narrate them, but you can read them for yourself as well. Sitting at a table, wife writes a number on paper and slides it across me crosses it out and writes a new number, thermostat negotiations. Anybody in your house live in two separate climates? Yeah? When you're home all by yourself, you get the house exactly the way that you want it, temperature controlled, and then when your spouse comes home, they mess it all up, right? Let's go to the next one. Me, look, I love you, but I made exactly the amount of cheese and crackers I want to eat right now, wife, but only exactly the amount. I have told my wife this for years. When I go to a restaurant and I order food, I order food because I want to eat that food. I'm an only child. I don't know how to share, right? And so when we go to a restaurant, I don't order food for you to eat my food. I don't want to eat your food, don't eat my food. That's just how we do it, all right? Some of you think I'm a jerk. Pray for my wife, seriously. She lives with us all the time. Let's go ahead to the next one. if at first you don't succeed, maybe your wife will just do it for you from now on, like that time I loaded the dishwasher. Sorry guys, I gave the secret away. I gave the secret away. Let's go to the next one. Marriage is essentially two people taking turns pushing down the top of the kitchen garbage so they don't have to take it out. Can I get an amen? Amen. Deferred chores are the best chores, right there. Go ahead to the next one. Uh, On Facebook, this is the status. Five years ago, I married my best friend, my soulmate. I love you in real life. Eat all the leftovers again and I will end you. A lot of the pain comes from food for me for some reason. I don't know why I relate to the food stuff. Next one, and this is a discussion I guarantee every married couple in this room has had before. Uh, Wife, you pick dinner, me, pizza, wife, no, me, tacos, wife, no, me, subs, wife, no, me, what do you want, wife, it's up to you, it's up to you, it's completely your decision, it's up to you. I'm telling you, I've I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'm gonna make a million dollars because I'm gonna open up a restaurant called I Don't Care, It's Up To You. And then that way when you're driving around with your wife in the car and you say, what do you want for dinner? I don't care, it's up to you. You come to my restaurant. I will charge you a lot of money, but I will save you a fight. So you're welcome for that. Let's go to the next one. My wife wanted two kittens, but I'm the man of this house, so we got two kittens. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, I'm not even gonna say anything about that. Go to the next one. Tell me again how I unloaded the dishwasher too loudly when you were watching golf. Detectives will want to know exactly how this went down. <laughs> There's like a, like a low roar on that one. Like it's funny, but it's really true. Like I've really thought those things. Let's go ahead. <clears throat> I was just about to do that chore that I see you're starting now. Marriage. Yep, how many of you have pulled that one before? And let's go on. Marriage is just texting each other, do we need anything from the grocery store a bunch of times until one of you dies. There you go, there's the hope of today. Marriage according to tweets, a light way to look at marriage, but we really know that marriage is extremely important. We understand that marriage is the most important relationship decision that you are going to make in your life. It's one of the most difficult, one of the most rewarding things ever, and so that's why we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks as we talk about this series called Fixed Marriage, and I realize with a name like Fixed Marriage, you might fit into one of two categories mentally. When we introduce this name to you, maybe you're thinking, I don't need my marriage fixed. My marriage is amazing. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. In fact, you know, like some of you are like, I've just spent three days away in Georgia at the marriage conference. We are, we're tighter than we've ever been together and we're closer and we love each other. On a scale of like Brad and Angelina to Chip and Joanna, we're like off the charts, you know, of of a great marriage, you know, to the point where like, you know, we didn't even cuss at each other on the way to church today. Like it's that kind of, like that's how good our marriage is. You're like, I don't need fixing at all, but the reality is is that here's how your marriage started. One broken person decided to commit to another broken person to live together in a very broken world. And so the reality is, is that even if your marriage is fantastic, there are parts of your marriage that are, you may not define them as broken, but they're broken. They need help. They need fixed. And so over the course of this series, I'm hoping that some of these truths that come to light are some things that you can apply to make your marriage absolutely the best that it can possibly be. But I also realize that there are some of you in the room when you hear this title, there is a part of you that, that just has a glimmer of hope that maybe this will be the thing that your marriage needs to survive. Maybe you walked in here today and your marriage is absolutely on life support. Like there is, there's, there's not much going for it. You're at your wits end. And you're just, you're just trying to figure out how, how to make this work. You're wondering if you have anything left to give, if they have anything left to give, if this thing is actually going to make it or not. And the reality is, is that if that's how you walked in this room today, I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for your marriage today because we serve a God who created, invented, arranged marriage from the very beginning. God's word says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, as God is uh, already done creating so many wonderful things, and this is what he says. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You see, what we find here in the Bible is the first not good. Two chapters in, we find that everything else has been great. God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, it is good He separated the land from the sea and he said, it's good. He made the the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and then he said, it's good. He created humanity and he said, it's very good. And then he gets to the part where Adam is alone and he said, that is not good. So good, 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 not good. We've got to do something about this. Because in our design, in our, in our created beings, we were meant to spend our lives with people. We were meant to live in community and sharing our lives with someone else. And so God created the institution, this idea, this creation of marriage. And if something is broken, doesn't it make sense to take that broken thing to the person who made it in the first place? And so there's hope in your marriage today because the God who created and invented marriage can fix your marriage this morning. I want you to know that. I want you to feel that hope. I want you to know that God can work in and through your life, in and through your marriage. I've been married for 10 years next month to this beautiful woman on the front row. That's an appropriate time to clap because it's impressive. For her, not for me, it's impressive for her to stay married to me that long. 10 years, next month we will celebrate our anniversary, and, um, and it, it's, I love my wife so much, she's amazing. She, um, you know, I, I wanna use the like cliche, she completes me, but I won't. Um, you know, but she she pushes me to be a better man. I mean, she, uh, she's an amazing wife, an amazing mother to our two kids. We got a six-year-old daughter, Riley, and a five-month-old, uh, Lincoln. And when my wife contracted the pregnancy with Lincoln, um, about a year and a year and a couple months ago. um, (laughs) She told me this, and the story might divert a little bit from her version, but I'm telling you the truth, she'll lie to you later. Um, She said, listen, during my pregnancy, this is what she tells me, during my pregnancy, you're gonna get fat. And I was like, wait, what? She goes, listen, you are not going to eat healthy during my pregnancy. I'm about to put on pregnancy weight. And so I'm not going to let you like maintain or at the worst lose. You're going to gain weight with me. Right. And because I'm an amazing husband, I was like, okay, honey, you know what I mean? That sounds like a pretty good deal. And so what she did, she removed every healthy item from our entire house. Like there was no greenery to be found at all. It was all fried and baked and cookies and all of these things. And because I'm such an amazing husband, I, ate it all, and so I gained quite a bit of weight, right? Which, this isn't fair, and ladies, you're not gonna see it from my point of view, so just go ahead right now, check out for like two seconds, okay? Man, it's not fair that women want us to gain weight with them when they get pregnant, because when they have the baby, they get rid of that weight a whole lot quicker. Like, if you've ever seen our son, like most of the weight was gone right away. Our son is huge, right? So, um, (laughs) it's not fair, and so I tried to argue for just a second, but be honest, have you ever tried to argue with a pregnant woman about food? Exactly. And so I just gave it up, and I'm like, all right, fine. So I started to gain some weight, and clothes were fitting tighter. And that's, that's not a game that I can afford to lose. When you wear skinny jeans, the margin for error is very, very, very small, right? So... So I started, I started gaining this weight and I'm like, you know what, I've gotta, I've gotta lose the weight so I'm back on the wagon now, right? I'm trying to, trying to eat healthy. Because here's what I realized, I realized there are two ways to get in shape, right? There is the way of eating sensibly, like eating decent and cheating every once in a while and then working out really, really hard. I hate that way, I don't like it. I don't like to work out, I don't like to run unless somebody's chasing me, you know, I just, I don't, I don't like, I don't enjoy it, right? And I know that you like fitness buffs and all you experts in the room are gonna tell me all the advantages of why I should work out. Save it, I'm not changing my mind, all right? And so I know that that's one way that you can do it. The other way you can do it is just be extremely, extremely careful what you eat. Be very selective, you know, make sure that you're choosing things that will help, you know, like not a lot of calories and not a lot of fat, but here's the problem. Here's the problem, I am a child of the 80s. And so growing up in the 80s, like if you ate raisin bran for breakfast, that was health food, right? Like, and then washed it down with a sunny D and that's fruit juice, like that's that's how we roll, right? And so it's, it's hard, like after knowing that, now we know like you could eat the box that it comes in and it's probably better for you nutritionally than the actual health food of things that have dried fruit and bran in them. We, f- for some reason, thought that was health food back in the day, right? But, but it, it always seems to be changing, the science is always trying to catch up with us and what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, I read this article recently. This is crazy. This is absolutely true, though, that if you eat a banana, bananas are supposed to be good for you, right? If you eat a banana, it breaks down in your system. Si- I'm seeing some of you shaking your heads yes, like you already know this, all right? But I just found this out, okay? It breaks down in your system the same way, sugar-wise, as a can of Coke if not worse for you because of the starch, right? So when you eat a banana, the way that your body process, it's like processes, it's like processing a can of Coke. So here are two things that I wanna tell you. One, if you wake up every day and you eat a banana because it's a healthy option, haha, shame on you. Number two, <laughs> Uh, If you wake up every day and you drink Coke, uh, congratulations, you're a health food nut. So you're welcome for that. I don't know if I justified or demonized something for you, but it's crazy. Like I want to eat healthy. I want to eat the right stuff. My goal is to be healthy, but sometimes it's hard because I don't know exactly what to do to get to that place. And I feel like a lot of us in our marriages, we're in that same boat. We want healthy marriages. We want things to go well in our marriages. No right minded person would stand on a stage or at an altar or in a barn or on a beach or wherever you got married and say all of the lovely things that you said back and forth to your spouse and tied a knot or poured some sand or lit some candles or whatever you did. Nobody does that hoping for an unhealthy marriage. Nobody gets into this thing thinking, man, I hope that my marriage is all messed up. I hope that in five to 10 years, I hate my spouse. I hope that I live in an environment that I absolutely dread going home to every day. Nobody does that. We want healthy things for our marriage. However, sometimes we just don't know what those healthy things are. Sometimes we do the best that we can, but we're just not sure exactly what to do, what the prescription would be for our marriage to be healthy, for our marriage to not just survive marriage, but to really thrive in marriage. And I believe that God's word spells it out for us. I'm excited to get into this series because I believe that this is one thing, just a a few things that we talk about during this fixed marriage series that we can take, we can apply to our lives. And we can know at the end of this, okay, here are some of the things that I can do to have a healthy marriage. I'll tell you, this world needs to see some healthy marriages. Our society, our culture needs to see some people in some healthy relationships. And how great would it be if the church just decided, hey, you know what, we'll be the example. Hey, we're gonna be the healthy relationships. Hey, we're gonna be the marriages that stick it out and that stay together. Because we all know the stats, right? We know that just about half of all marriages end in divorce. We know that those are the statistics and and statistics come out all the time and update, but it stays around that level. It's a 50-50 chance. A 50-50 chance that a marriage that starts with great intentions Is going to end in an ugly divorce, and those are crazy odds. Like we don't, we don't just go ahead with those odds in other important areas of our lives, right? What if I told you like, the cereal that you love to eat, maybe it is Raisin Bran, I don't know, but the cereal that you love to eat and you eat it every single day, that there was just a study confirmed that came out that said you have a 50-50 chance of getting cancer if you keep eating that cereal. What are you going to do? You're going to throw the cereal away, you're going to blog about how bad the cereal is, you're going to share posts on Facebook and everywhere else. Every person that you see, you're going to grab them by the shirt and tell them to throw it away, right? Like, What if you get on an airplane and the the, the pilot does his little uh, Uh, You know his little speech today, we're going to be cruising at uh, 14,000 feet altitude. And oh yeah, by the way, there's a 50% chance we don't have enough fuel to make it to where we're going to go. So we're going to drop out of the sky at an amazing rate. And we're going to burst into flames as soon as we hit the ground. You are going to run. You're going to get off of that plane. You're going to create a commotion. If you have to, you're going to run across a tarmac. You're going to do drastic things to make sure that that is not the situation that you're going to put yourself in. However, However, why is it that with the most important relationship that we can enter into in our lives, we're okay with just saying, well, I'll just do what everybody else does in our marriage. Well, I'll I'll just just follow the world. I'll just follow culture. I'll just kind of do whatever so and so is doing. I'll just kind of do whatever they're doing. And then just hope, hope that we're on the good side of the 50-50. Just hope that maybe, maybe we'll make it. And marriage is too important to risk not doing some drastic things and not making some changes. And so as we talk today, as we talk today about being fixed and, and our marriage is being fixed, I want to talk about fixed me. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, today is all about me. Go ahead, say it. Today is all about me. For the next few minutes that we have here together today, I want to focus on ourselves. I want to focus on me. I want you to focus on you. And I'm not saying that when we talk about marriage, you need to focus more on yourself like, hey, I need a spa day or I need a fishing day. Uh, I'm talking about us looking and really looking into our lives and being very honest. Let's take a very honest look inside of us. Let me tell you the easy thing to do when there are parts of our marriages that need fixed. When there are parts of marriage that need fixed, that are broken, the easy thing to do is to point out all the reasons why it's the other person's fault. That's the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do when you take an inventory, when you take a look at your marriage, the easy thing to do is say, well, you know, it's their fault because they did this, and it's their fault because they do that, or it's their fault because they are this way, or it's their fault because of their friends, it's their fault because of their family, it's their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault. And it's so easy to point fingers, and we get so laser focused on all of the insufficiencies, all of the failures of our spouse that we completely overlook the fact that we are not perfect, that we have things in our own lives that we are contributing to the brokenness of our marriage. Jesus said it like this when he was talking about seeing past your own insufficiencies and and pointing someone else's out. He says this in Matthew chapter seven, verses three to five, it says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye. We could substitute spouse in this passage of scripture for today. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother or your spouse's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother or your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or your spouse's eye. Jesus, Jesus, points us in this direction to refocus our really critical eye, which we all have, this critical eye, this judgmental mindset, this viewpoint. He takes, he takes it and he says, no, 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 instead of looking at someone else's failure, instead of looking at someone else's fault, why don't you just turn the spotlight on your own life just for a moment? Why don't you look in the mirror and take a really good look at yourself? Because the reality is we all have some things that we need to deal with. And yeah, as a spouse, it's easier to point the blame at somebody else But what Jesus tells us to do is take the blame for what we're adding to that marriage to break it. He's basically, Jesus is saying, listen, there are some things in your life that you're gonna have to own up to. And it is not exciting, it is not fun, it's hard to do with anybody, but it's especially difficult to do when it comes to your spouse. Because we all know the things that our spouse does wrong, right? We know that. We don't have to think about it. You don't have to, like, I don't have to say, okay, I want you to take the next five minutes and I want you to really think and pray about all the things that your spouse does wrong. No, no, you probably have a list already, right? Hopefully it's mental. If it's physical, throw it away, because if she finds it, guys, it's done. Like, I cannot help you then. May God have mercy on your soul, right? But we have this, this list of things. We know the things that we would love to change about our spouse. Like I want them to be more like this or less like this. We have these things that we want and, and we kind of you know get fixated on that. I wish they would do this. I wish they would do that. I wish they wouldn't do this. I wish they wouldn't do that. You know, what's funny to me is, and I find this in my own relationship and it's probably true in yours too, is that most of those things that bug us or annoy us about our spouse are the things that we thought were cute, and quirky when we first started dating. You ever notice this, right? Like, you know, guys, you'll have this conversation with your friends when you start getting very serious about dating a girl, you know, you say things like, man, she is, she's so passionate, you know, she's so driven and she's so organized and then you get married and the conversation changes to, oh my gosh, man, can I ever do anything right? Like she just, she just nags, nags, nags all the time, you know? Ladies, you know how this goes, you know, you start dating that guy and you start telling your friends. Oh man, he's just so laid back. You know, it's just so nice. Like, we balance each other out so well. It's just so nice to, you know, be in a relationship with somebody that's just that easygoing. And then you get married and it's like, he never does anything. Like, I can't get him to get off of the couch, to stop watching football or playing video games. He won't lead my home, he won't lead my family. I can't believe that he's that lazy. You know, all of these things change so much because the reality is we know all those things about the other person that we would love to change, right? And those are funny things. Those are things that, yeah, they annoy us, and yeah, they kind of chip away at us, but the reality is there are much deeper things about your spouse that you know that nobody else knows that bothers you, that hurts you. So when we take a look at Jesus' words and we think about that, don't don't necessarily focus on their shortcomings, but take a look, take inventory of your life, because what we're guilty of doing so many times is praying for our spouse, which we feel like, oh, that's that's our godly thing, and yeah, we should pray for our spouse. But our our prayers sometimes go like this. God, I just pray that you would change them. I just pray that you would change them and 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 make them into the person that I know they can be. M- change them and make them into the person that I need them to be. God, fix them. That's what a lot of our prayers sound like about our spouse. Maybe just maybe our prayers should sound more like this. God, make me to the spouse that you want me to be. God fix the things in me that I need to have fixed, the things that I need to work on. God, I I pray for my spouse and I pray that you'd bless them and I pray that you'd bless our marriage, but God, first and foremost, work on me. There are things in my life that I know are not 100%. There are things that I'm bringing into this marriage that I know are adding to the brokenness. So God, fix me, change me. That is a dangerous, dangerous prayer. You know why that's a dangerous prayer? because God's gonna answer that prayer. And when God answers those kind of prayers, it always happens in ways that we least expect it. God will change us, God will fix us, but there is some growing pain associated with growth in Christ. The reason we like to pray that prayer over our spouse and say, God, change them, fix them, make them better, is because we don't have to do anything. We just get to stand back and watch what happens, and hopefully they'll be created into this person that we think is perfect, It's harder to pray that prayer for ourselves because we're going to have to actually do the changing. And the way that marriage is set up, the way that marriage is designed, it was never designed for one spouse to point the finger at the other spouse and say, okay, now you have to change a bunch of stuff about yourself. As we read in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 22, this is kind of the prescription that we have for marriage. It says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That is by far one of the most misquoted and abused passages of scripture especially when it talks about marriage. And so we can point fingers at the different preachers that we've heard talk about this passage of scripture or the people that have used this scripture to, uh, to try to take a, an ungodly stance in a marriage but here's what I find when I read this passage of scripture. We can read it so many other verses in the Bible, and we self-apply them. We feel like, okay, that scripture is talking to me, and I'm gonna apply this to my life right now, right? Love your enemy as yourself. That is a really, really hard thing to do. But okay, I get it. I need to be, I need to be better. I, I need to do something about loving those people that are really, really hard to love, the people that have even done wrong to me. I need to figure out ways to love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. All right, that's really, really difficult because there are people that don't act like me and look like me and believe like me, but I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm, I'm supposed to do that. I get that, right? Go into all the world and preach Make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm supposed to go out into my workplace. I'm supposed to go to my home. I'm supposed to go to my neighborhood. I'm supposed to go to my spheres of influence, and I'm supposed to, with my life, preach the gospel. I'm supposed to share Christ with other people. We get that, that makes sense to us. And so, when we read the Bible, a lot of times it's very first person, like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And then we get to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And what do we do? We turn the whole thing around. It's like, my wife needs to do that. My husband needs to do that. We stop with the I need to do and we start with the they need to do. It's amazing how this happens. It's amazing how we break this scripture down and we read what we want to read. And so, guys, we read this and we're like, yeah. You should submit to my lead. You should do what I'm telling you to do. Wives, you should, or or wives, you look at this and you say, yeah, well, you know, I would if you, if you love me like Christ loved the church. I don't know why this is the, sorry. (laughs) Hey, you should. (laughs) But why is it that we do this? Well, what if we just took a look at this scripture just for a second and you take out the opposite equation, right? You take out the portion of the scripture that has to deal with your spouse and you just read the part that has to do with you. Just for a second, right? Just for a second, take out the part that has to do with your spouse, with your significant other, take that out and just read the portion that applies to you. Men, you ready? It's gonna hurt, let's do it. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, forget all that whole, like, wives submit to your husband. Forget it. Put it out of your mind just for a second. Just for a second. It's the only time a preacher is ever going to ask you to forget about Scripture. But focus on this one. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ demonstrate his love for the church? By laying down his life for us. Jesus proved his love for us in that he was willing to die, be executed, a painful death, for you and for me. That is the kind of love that this verse is talking about, men. And this is how God expects us to love our wives. And most of us in this room, most guys, right? If you consider yourself a man at all, if I stood you up here and asked every single one of you in front of all these people, would you take a bullet for your wife? We would all say yes right? That's the man thing to do. That's an automatic, easy response. But not only did Christ give up his physical life for the church, for you and me, you know what he died to? He died to his own will. He died to the things that he wanted. He died to his preferences because it was his preference not to die like that. He even asked God if there was a way, another way that this could happen. And then he finished that prayer by saying, not my will, but your will. Jesus died to his own will his own preferences his own wants for you and for me and so men here's the standard that we have to live up to not just playing the superhero and taking a bullet for your wife the standard we have to live up to is hey i'm going to die to some of those things some of those those wants that i have in my life some of those desires maybe even some of those dreams that i've had for my life i'm going to die to some of those things because i'm going to prefer her there's this mutual submission That this passage of scripture talks about a man submitting to the need of his wife. And then wives, you're not off the hook. Wives submitting to the lead of your husband. So ladies, let's read this without worrying about all that other stuff. Take away that excuse, ladies, of, well, I would submit if he loved me like that, right? So let's go ahead and read. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands, as if you were submitting to God. It's a tall order. Can I tell you right now, husbands, wives, singles, it's impossible. It's impossible to get this right every single time. It is absolutely even more difficult to do it without God working in your life and without the Holy Spirit, but this is the standard that's been set. This this passage of scripture, we take it so many times and we just throw it at our spouse, but the reality is today, let's take this passage of scripture and let's own it. Let's stop pointing out the flaws in our spouse and let's start saying, okay, these are the things that I need to work on. These are the things that I need to do. These are the things that I need to die to. These are the things that I need to submit my life because a fixed marriage begins with submission. A fixed marriage starts with, with submission, and sometimes submission means that you give up your right to be right. You give up your right to be right, and that's so difficult. Take it from me, I'm always right, and it's very difficult. For me, that part was a joke. (laughs) It's difficult to admit, hey, I could be right and I still need to submit to God, and I still need to submit to my spouse. Singles, I want to talk to you just for a brief moment. I know the temptation for a series like this. I get it. I get that, that when you see these things come up on the screen, and you know there's a marriage series coming, some of you are like, oh, here we go again. You know. And maybe even good intention people will tell you things like, you know, listen, listen to the messages, because then you can apply that later on in your life. They mean well. It's true, you can. But the reality is, is this idea of submission, how great of an opportunity you have to submit to God in everything right now so that when you find that spouse, that person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with, you're already gonna be in great practice. You're already gonna be ready to submit your will, your desires because you've already been doing that with God. Let me tell you what the temptation is. If you're single in this room, the temptation is to have this list of things that you would love for your spouse to have maybe down to eye color, I don't know. I don't know how extensive your list is. Ladies, I'm sure it's longer than the guy's list. Guy's lists are usually like two or three things and we ain't talking about those, but. (laughs) We have these lists, right? These are the things that I, I want. Spiritually, it's important to have those things. Spiritually, it's important to have these expectations and these standards for the people that you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. It's extremely important. I think it's naive to think that you can just kind of meet somebody, fall in love, and all the pieces come together. No, I think you need to have expectations for what you're looking for. Keep your standards high. However, don't get so focused on your standards of what you want in somebody else that you forget to start submitting yourself to God, to start working on yourself, and maybe even that same prayer. God, you know what? Before I even get into this marriage, before I even get into this relationship, what are the things about me that I need to be fixed? What are the things about me, God, that you need to work on? What are the rough edges in my life that you need to sand off and and work on and mold me into so that by the time it's it's time to meet that person, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be the person that's able to tick off some of the boxes on their list. We get so focused on, do they have all the things that I want that we forget about, well, I should have all the things that they want too. And as I was preparing this, I, I want to speak to a very select, certain group of people. I just felt so strongly that God is leading me in this direction. So if you're in this room today, and you're single because of divorce, I just, I just want to speak to you just for a moment. I, I just want to tell you that this whole idea of, of submission is really, really difficult, especially for somebody that's been through a divorce. It's difficult. It's difficult. And maybe you're in this room today and, and your experience has been that your divorce happened, but it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. And so you're holding on to this idea that I, I was right, 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 and maybe you are. Maybe that person did some things, said some things that were absolutely out of line, absolutely wrong, and you were right. You were 100% right. And the marriage ended and now you're left holding on to, well, I'm right, I'm right, I was right, I was right, I was right. Can I tell you that one of the hardest things that you're ever gonna have to learn how to do is to get to that place where you're willing to let go of being right and submit yourself to God and say, okay, God, I want you to fix the parts of me that are broken. God, I submit myself to you. I realized that I could stand here all day and point out the faults of my ex But right now, God, I want to own what I need to own. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. It's so hard because divorce just just tears your heart apart. It just rips you apart. I know that. I know that. Some of you know my story. I, I don't know who does and who doesn't, but this is not my first marriage. I got married when I was in my early 20s. That marriage only lasted for a year and a half. And I don't want to go into the the long part of this story. The details, honestly, are not really even important. But the broad strokes of what happened is there was some infidelity. She was unfaithful. We decided to work it out. We decided to try and stay together. But there was a pattern that started with her infidelity, and it just continued and continued and continued. It got to a place where she was... Completely unwilling to even work at this relationship anymore. And so it ended in divorce. So I get it. I understand. I understand the pain. I understand the brokenness. I understand the low points that you experience in those kind of moments. But I can tell you from my experience, because I was, I was holding on to this, I was right. Like I was right on so many levels. I sought counsel from godly people and I consulted God's word and I I was right, I was right, I was right, I was right. But I started to pray these dangerous prayers like God heal me, God fix me. And as I started doing that, I started seeing that there was not just a finger to point in the other direction but there were things that I did. If you put them on paper, they weren't as egregious. But what does it really matter? Some things that I did that I brought some brokenness into that relationship as well. I was a workaholic. I put, I put ministry in front of family. I did so many things that, that if I would have not prayed those prayers, if I would have not submitted my life to Christ, if I would have not let go of being right and said, okay, God, what is it that you need to heal? What is it that you need to fix about me? Then I would have carried all of that mess into my next relationship. And we run the same risk of that. If you're divorced, are you willing to let go of being right? Are you willing to let go of that? sometimes that feels kind of like a warm blanket like you don't know any other feeling except to to feel justified in what you had to do but the reality is is that you find true freedom when you finally let it go you finally say God fix me God, heal me, work on me. What do I need to do? What do I need to change? I can't change my ex. I can't change my spouse. I can't change my kids. I can't change my friends. I can't change my boss. I can't change anybody. Here's what I can do is, God, I can work on the things that you want me to work on. God, I can be more like you in all the ways that you want me to be like you. And you know what's amazing in our marriages? You know what's amazing? It's how easy it is to forget that when God works on us, and we start putting the focus on our insufficiencies and the brokenness that we bring into our relationships. And God starts to heal us after we stop looking at all the mistakes that our spouse has made. You know what's amazing? It's that our marriages start to heal. When God works on me, he starts working on that marriage as well. Because we want to say they need to change everything, but the reality is maybe I need to change some things. Maybe God wants to work on me. I know this isn't easy to hear. I know it's not fun. I tell you, it's not fun to preach. But I do know, I do know without a doubt that it's what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. That very first verse in Ephesians chapter five says this, therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators, copy God. And that's what we should do in our marriages. We should love each other, submit to each other, forget about the faults, forget about the things you want to change, say, God, change me, fix me, because a fixed me means that your marriage is going to be better. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.